0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me this beautiful Thursday morning. Today, I have my great friend Terry Fletcher with me. Good morning. Uh, Terry, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
0: Terry and I, we got to hang out a couple of weeks ago when I was out in California. Um, and she is just as amazing in person yes. as she <laughs> is on the webinars. And, and uh, as we see her virtually, she is even better in person. Oh, thank
1: so. you. Well, my husband thought you were funny. She, he's like, okay, <laughs> I've seen your your twin. <laughs> what do they call it? Your your shadow animal or something? He, he's like, nice. I, I see your twin, your alter ego. I'm like, yeah, we could chat about healthcare forever. And I go, and we like it. We're not saying we're talking shop. We're, this is our
0: conversation. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's so nice when we do get to talk with our friends about what makes us, what what drives us, our passions. And Mm -hmm. some of the struggles, it's great to have someone to bounce things off. I was telling my class last night, I was just finishing up a billing class last night. and, um, And I told them that the greatest asset that you have in this industry is your network. And it doesn't matter how many years of experience you have. You know, sometimes you hear something a little wonky and you need to run it by your colleagues and go, you know, this is just wonky enough that I got to stop and ask this question. And it doesn't make us less of an expert or uh, as a someone strong in our profession. It just means that we take that extra step to make sure yes. that what
1: we're saying is right. Well, and I think also, I think people forget sometimes the isolation of consultants. Independent <laughs> consultants, you know, we we get to see you and talk to you. A lot of times it's virtual now. Um, But we don't, we're not sitting in an office like you are where you can just turn around and go, Hey, I have a question on this. Can you, can you help out? Or, you know, so we texting is awesome. (laughs) I even texted you yesterday saying, I know, I know the answer to this, but I got a mobile unit place of service question. And luckily you you were available to respond right back, but it's interesting. Yeah. I think that it's just so nice that we have this network and thank God for LinkedIn and that we've met and uh, we have, you know, people that we can bounce things off of. Cause it is a, it is a lonely life sometimes being an independent consultant.
0: It is, it absolutely is. And you have nobody to share news with, like it's national orange juice day, Terry. Oh no, <laughs> oh no, oh no. Or, or here's a better one. May the fourth be with you.
1: Oh geez, okay. yes. Okay, yeah.
0: last one, last one. Tomorrow. Cinco de Mayo. Okay. Yes. That okay. one's good. Okay. Just thanks. An excuse thanks. for I my try. margaritas. Okay,
1: good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks for coming on today. We're going to continue to, to dive down the ICD 10 guidelines. And, and I always share this with my friends. You know, I'm very aware that the guidelines are like. Ikea furniture assembly instructions. Yes. And, um, and it's tough so sometimes it's great to get different perspectives and and who better than the cardiology guru my friend terry fletcher well we'll see i guess because it's like oh yeah
1: what is christy and i talking about oh yeah let me let me go (laughs) like brush up on my skills there i was like because you do it every day but the little nuances sometimes that are actually in the, you know, um, coding guidelines or mm-hmm. some of the little languages and the, and the parentheses and the parentheticals and the, the quotes they put in, um, we sometimes, I don't want to say take it for granted, but you just want to get brush up on the actual wording that they have. Sometimes we're like, oh yeah, I forgot they said that.
0: Well, I think it's good to review the guidelines once a year. And, yeah. and, and I'm going to be the first one to tell you it's a struggle. It, it, it has to be scheduled. I have to set the time aside. I have to psych myself out. Um, but every time I read it, there's something between the beginning and the end that turns me on. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize <laughs> the answer was right here all the time. Um, because like you said, we, we get so in the groove of doing the same thing over and over again that we kind of miss the idea that... Um, that we have these guidelines to help us out. And- we do. And
1: I actually get excited when the new CPT books come out, which is getting earlier and earlier. ICD-10, not so much. I mean, I know we get it more virtually. We don't really get, you know, I get, still get a paper book on CPT, but cause I need to have one on my desk every minute. Uh, mm-hmm. When they stop doing the paper, I'm going to be in trouble. But, um, but the ICD-10 is, you know, first of all, we get the general guidelines. So the mm-hmm guidelines and then we get the codes. And I actually don't think Christine, a lot of people know there are two different things. Yeah. One is directions and what they, what the expectation is on how to use them. And the other ones are the actual codes and then how those codes are used within the codes. And and I hope that kind of makes sense. But I I see a lot of people sometimes when I reference
0: the general guidelines they're like, what, what's that? Is that the beginning? I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're (laughs) absolutely right. And, and think when, So the first people to publish the new guidelines, codes, instructions is the CDC. And they always have this real unique way of separating out alpha index, tabular index, tabular notes, um, and then the changes within the tabular notes. Because one thing that I, I think, and I know this is just, again, talking generally, one thing I don't think everybody remembers is that those changes come to the tabular instructions as well. They may add an an includes, they may add an excludes one or two. They might add a code first that wasn't there the year before. So the review really needs to be a little bit of a deep dive review to see exactly how it impacts your particular industry, especially value-based reimbursement.
1: Yes. And that's actually becoming more and more of a conversation. I actually listened to a webinar recently on value-based and honestly, I I don't understand how it's positive for the physician because overall it's going to mean lower reimbursement, but better access to everything for the patient. Mm -hmm. But then as I'm listening to it and I realize that, Oh, Medicare is eventually going to do, you know, go to the ACO MCO type, um, outline, I guess, model model models, the Mm -hmm. word, And so now I see where the value-based care is coming. And so, yeah, we have to really kind of tighten up these guidelines.
0: For sure, for sure. So a couple of other things. We had 43 new codes this year that were added to the cardiology section, mostly around um, atherosclerosis, uh, different types of tachycardia, uh, conditions of the aorta. I don't know about you, but the, the, the aorta is a pet peeve of mine. I, yes. I When I see an unspecified aorta, I, I think to myself, it's <laughs> massive. It, the aorta starts like way up here. How can you say? And it goes way down there. And how can you say the aorta? Well,
1: and I don't like the unspecified um, lower extremities when you're dealing with, you know, vascular things. I'm just like, you, you didn't pay attention what leg it was. I mean, to me, that's just lazy coding, you know, at least put right or left. I mean, give us something, you know, right? so.
0: Well, it goes back to uh, the GEMS mapping. And yeah. of course, now that we are all these years into ICD-10, why we still rely on the GEMS mapping, and that's the general equivalency mapping. So when we changed from 9 to 10, a lot of doctors said, hey, just give me the crosswalk. what Whatever it was in 9, tell me what it is in 10. And there wasn't and, a direct crosswalk. Not when you go from 17,000 codes to 70,000 codes. Yeah, I mean, no. the math just doesn't add up.
1: It doesn't. It's it's like when people say, well, just give me the crosswalk when they took away consults <laughs> and said, you know, in Medicare and said, just give me the crosswalk to the, either the new patient or the hospital codes. I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> so it, there's, there's a little difference nuance when you, you know, when you look at it. So, but before we get started in, in actual coding, I, and you and I talked about this off camera mm-hmm. to start. I think we need to bring up the statement that was added to the general uh, yes. guidelines, and I think this is really good for those of you that are primarily in ICD-10, or this is kind of where you work the most, and and your or you're in uh, CDI, so clinical documentation. You can either call it improvement or integrity; either one works for us. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're dealing with that, here's a statement that came out under the um, Section One B Coding Guidelines 18, and this is before the codes. It said that, and this is in the introductory section introductory section of the official coding guidelines, a joint effort between the healthcare provider and the coder is essential to achieve complete and accurate documentation, code assignment, and reporting of diagnoses and procedures. The importance of consistent, complete documentation in the medical record cannot be overemphasized. Without such documentation, accurate coding cannot be achieved, and the entire record should be reviewed to de- determine the specific reason for the encounter and the conditions treated. Treated. What I really like this is it said the joint effort between the healthcare provider and the coder, Christine. They've never said that before. They finally recognized coders as someone that has to be part of that collaborative effort.
0: Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. And I thought that that was a a brilliant statement. I thought that that was something that every coder needs to have printed on their desk. Like that I should be their the mantra behind there. their desk. Like let's work together. I know that's what we've been saying, but now it's in, writing. It's in they, writing. they they saw the importance of, and when I say they, I mean all the collaborative agencies saw the importance of making sure that was in writing in the guidelines there. and um, and, and I couldn't say thank you enough to all of those collaborating agencies for making sure that they included that relationship there. There's more and more discussion about queries. In the guidelines now more than we'd ever had before so if anything is conflicting query and they are encouraging the query so providers should see that as well like we're not always there to to bug or bother or chase down it's that we need additional information to really show that um, specificity and diagnosis and if i can jump on one more little bandwagon that's again off topic but not really Modifier 25, is the, 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 the date is coming closer and closer that Cigna has shared with us, and although a lot of organizations are on top of this, I, I, the beautiful letter that the AMA wrote, um, uh, uh, for those of you that don't know, Cigna put out a letter that said that effective on the 23rd of this month, they're going to start requiring documentation for all uh, claims that are submitted with a modifier 25 where my mind immediately went was when I look at modifier 25 and it says separately, significant, separately identifiable. Yes. Um, I always thought, well, even if it was the same condition that we're treating and it says we can, it doesn't have to have a separate diagnosis. What if that diagnosis though was specific enough to include a new manifestation that that made that a significant separate visit? Or what if the diagnosis, those use an additional code to explain other or to explain a, a, a comorbidity that we needed to treat? What if that diagnosis was so specific that the diagnosis made it easy to see the support of modifier 25?
1: Right. No, I agree. And I think that the CPT direction saying you don't need a different diagnosis doesn't help us billers out there. You know, (laughs) it's just like, well, then how do you show that it's a significant separate service? Right. And, you know, I I think that that whole thing is really because of bad actors. You have a patient who's scheduled for a procedure. So a lipoma removal or an endoscopy or an injection or something that is pre-scheduled. Mm-hmm. And they, the patient walks in and they say, hi, how are you doing to the doctor? And they say, okay, we're going to do your injection now. And they try to also bill for an e service. That's why this whole yeah. thing came up. And I it's was like, talking to uh, a
0: friend of ours who's on here today. Hey, Betty, yesterday. And, uh, you know, she was telling me that that there was, that she had talked with somebody who um, ha- developed a unique program that would add an additional visit in between the decision to make surgery and the surgical date. um, And that was with a a PA or an NP to look for risk factors for the surgery. And the first thing that I thought was, well, when the doctor made the decision for surgery, did they not have the capability of identifying risk factors? Did they really need to hire a PA or an NP to come in behind them and go, hey, doc, you forgot this. I mean, sometimes it doesn't make sense to... Us when we're thinking about those things, right?
1: Yeah, I'm actually I might be
0: saying it wrong. No, you,
1: no, you're saying it right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny though, because um, I see doctors have been emailing me well, ever since that announcement was made and practices and saying, so we've decided how we're going to handle it <laughs> is that we're just going to build a <laughs> procedure on a different date. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, okay what (laughs) and they said so we're going to continue to do the you know what we how we do it but we're just going to split the data i said so patient comes in the office they're going to get a minor procedure they're going to have an office visit with a 25 modifier and then they i said but you changed it you're going to take off the modifier and then the day after you know when the patients and they are flying to europe on vacation you're going to say they were actually there getting their injection they're like oh I was like, yeah, (laughs) right. you know, and, or the preventative visit, you know, that we don't really call them split visits, but we basically the preventative with the office visit, we've got, you know, ICD-10 issues with that. We've got 25 modifier issues with that. So, you know, that aside, I know we're getting off on a tangent here. No, no,
0: but I think it's a good, it's it's, a good topic to talk about because um, again, I don't know that providers really understand that the diagnosis really helps drive billing purposes. You know, when you just said those uh, those those preventive visits with an office visit on the same day and they share the same diagnosis codes. Yeah. Well, what was significant and separate between separate. these two? Because they mirror each other so much. Was it because you opened up a separate encounter and you copied all of this and you dropped it onto another encounter and now we're calling that two separate encounters? It wasn't a separate encounter. Or I had a, a doctor recently said, so what you're telling me, Christine, is that I need to see the patient, reschedule them for another day to have the procedure. So now they have to come in twice. And I think, why would you see them in between if you saw them and said, if it doesn't get better, I'm going to do this. And then you bring them back in to do this. Wh- why do you need a third visit? Yeah. What? Where is exactly. that? So I said, I, I don't know, you know, doc, of course you would have to make the decision. Is it medically necessary to assess it and then have them come in to assess it again and then have them come in to assess it again before you do what you originally said in the first visit?
1: Yeah. I talked to doctors about that all the time. I said, well, what is it that you're doing extra when you've already pre-scheduled them to come in for that procedure? And they said, well, I, you know, I have to reassess them. I'm like, why did they have a new complaint that you're having to address? Let's just go back to basics. Did it like, change no. so
0: much that it required you to stop and look at it again to make a decision? Now, it could be, Terry. So uh, I don't know if I shared this with you, but my husband, when he came out to California, he had an infection in his knee. It was a oh, nasty man. infection. And um, so when he got home, he went to his primary care, or not his primary care, his orthopedic doctor, who... Um, again, said, I'm on the fence. And he wrote it in his note. I'm on the fence. I don't know if I need to go in and do an IND. I, I, right now, um, we're going to monitor it. about I want to come back in a couple of days. They put lines on his leg. And there was a true reassessment yeah. on that second day where we we saw the regression of infection was documented. The success of the antibiotics was documented. And I could see that it was getting better in the notes that that his provider was was documenting. So we could easily see that. It's it's just when the notes don't provide that information that it gets
1: complicated. It does, which actually is a good segue into coding for cardiology and cardiovascular diagnoses. I see what you did there. <laughs>
0: uh, so I don't know about you, but I like that very first paragraph in the guidelines where they tell us as coders, it's one of the very few places in the guidelines where coders get empowered. I read that that primary paragraph there and I always do like the it says (laughs) we are allowed to assume you may presume that there's a causal relationship. Oh I can thanks. So when
1: you let me interrupt you real quick you just said the word causal. So for anybody who's watching listening it's not casual. <laughs> I had a doctor reiterate that to me. He goes, well, let's look at this. He goes, it says a casual relationship. I go, no, read the word again. He goes, oh, <laughs> shoot. I'm like, it's casual. meaning there's a, a relationship that's tied together somewhere and intersect. <laughs> and he's like, I've been looking at that as casual the whole time. I'm sorry i could not stop laughing
0: no but that's yeah. so true and it, it does make a difference and and i'm sure that that provider now is <laughs> it's turned into your like number one documentary he, he
1: is he's pretty funny
0: <laughs> but this paragraph tells us that unless there is documentation saying against it like okay no, no 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 absolutely not their kidney disease is not related at all to their hypertension or their Um, heart disease is not related to their hypertension, but otherwise, you know, that's the one area that I, I think it's the one and only area that I can stand by those providers when they say, you know, when I say this, I mean this, okay, you're supported in the guidelines. I can run with that one. That's the only place that I can run with it though.
1: Yeah. That one will end COVID COVID's got some some things there too, where they let you make some assumptions. Which I don't like, but we won't go there. <laughs> but I think when we get into uh, some of the relationship between hypertension, for example, and heart involvement, between hypertension and kidney involvement, hypertension—you know—all this heart disease—they mm-hmm. um, they do make the assumption, and I guess that with the causal relationship, they make the presumption. How about that? Yes. That um, that there is a causal relationship um, between the two the two conditions. What's interesting though, Christine, is that they seem to want, and I'm saying they, the powers that be that create mm-hmm. these guidelines, <laughs> they seem to want the the language to be specific where the doctors have said with. So hypertension with kidney disease, hypertension with, um, when they look at this, with kidney involvement, uh, et cetera. And I'm not always seeing the physicians living up to the language direction. I don't know about you. Yeah. And so for me, I feel like Cardiology is a place where I do a lot more query because even though it does allow us to presume that relationship, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. makes me nervous to do that, especially somebody with, let's say, chronic kidney disease right. um, or somebody with renal failure. I'm I'm really concerned about doing that without the doctor specifying it in the note. I don't know about you.
0: No, no, I agree with you because there are more than just hypertension as the cause of renal failure or the cause of renal conditions. Um, and same thing with heart failure, hypertension is not always the catalyst. And, and I know that I've had a friend of mine who had congestive heart failure, secondary to radiation for breast cancer, which so none of that had to do with a, a, any type of hypertension. Um, she did eventually get hypertensive from the pain from the conditions that she had. But so although this Guidance falls in there. You're 100% right. We're not 100% sure that that's what it's related to. Another one, I had a young lady who had a congenital kidney disease. Um, And because of that, she became very obese. And the obesity caused hypertension. But it wasn't the kidney disease. She'd had that way before that hypertension had kicked in. And it was it was easy to make that relationship with the obesity for her. So you're right. We still need to talk to our cardiologists, uh, even our, our primary cares who might be managing these conditions and remind them that we need that with, and due to, because of, related yeah, to.
1: We do. Well, and I, I was sitting down with a, a group of physicians, cardiologists about this. And one of the physicians, which I thought she brought up a really, really good point, And she was a newer physician. She said, well, I'm not necessarily reading that as you're making that um, presumptive causal relationship because there's an actual kidney condition. It says kidney or um, involvement. And Mm -hmm. so, or heart involvement to the hypertension, for example. And she goes, involvement to me means that it's tied together, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a chronic condition that helped manifest it. And I was like, okay, now you just added another layer to to this question because they do use the word involvement. So under, True. you know, under the first part of that chapter nine. And so I guess it's, I guess some of it is really what the physician thinks of in their thought process with the language and then what a coder would pull from it in their thought process with the language. And that's why I think, again, going back to that collaborative statement it's really working together to figure out what does the patient have without overcoating mm-hmm. or undercoding, but making sure it's correct coding. And I still think there's that gray area sometimes, especially in the cardiovascular area or circulatory area. I,
0: it's funny that you mentioned that. It, uh, I just had a conversation earlier this morning with a physician practice and, you know, they were asking about how they can make some improvements in their documentation. And what I recommended was, go and do a productivity report on the top 10 diagnosis that you've seen this year or or within the last 12 months. And then sit down with the physician, have like a little round table with the physician. What are the top questions that help you in the management of these conditions? So does the patient monitor it at home? Is it, are there any other related signs and symptoms that we can tie together. Let's start getting away from just those boxes that were created in the EMR to help us with 95, 97 guidelines. Why don't we really have that roundtable with physicians where they share with coders, medical assistants. um, When I say this, I mean this. And then coders can say, but that's not enough. I need this. Great, then we can modify that. Medical assistant, ask them this and this question when it comes to these conditions make a team effort to really involve the key players that contribute to the medical record and then assign the, the appropriate codes relating to that medical record.
1: I agree. And I think one of the harder areas to code is hypertensive chronic kidney disease. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because it says that you're in the I-12 category, Mm -hmm. but it says when both hypertension and a condition classifiable to the category N18, which is chronic kidney disease Uh, that's present. Um, It says the chronic kidney disease should not be coded as hypertensive if the provider indicates that the um, CKD isn't related to the hypertension. So now they're saying they not only have to put in things that are related, but now we have to have it clearly written in the documentation that it isn't related. I don't see doctors doing that. Does anybody else? I mean, I see we have a lot of comments on this. And I'm not seeing physicians telling us what's not related. Uh, it's hard enough to get them to tell us there's a causal relate. Sorry, catenal, a causal right? relationship um, between the two. But um, and then it says the appropriate code from the N18 category should also be used as a secondary diagnosis because they want to know the stage of the Thanks. the chronic kidney disease. So there's a lot of of uh, moving pieces when it comes to not just the circulatory system, but the doctors, I think they want the coders to absolutely um, just kind of know this information and be basically say, just, just put it in, you know, it's fine. Just put, just put it in. If I say it's this or that, just put it in the, the, the system. And I think that can be dangerous, especially with how insurance coverages are right now. Um, the, we see, I think you and I see all the time, and I know mm-hmm. that our, our listeners see this, is the OIG and uh, HHS are constantly getting on Medicare Advantage plans for upcoding HCCs. Yep. And these are right in those hierarchy codes. So, you know, um, I don't see the, the physicians usually will see, and this is just what I see. Yep. Physicians will usually give us the patient has um, chronic kidney disease or an acute disease or something related to the chronic kidney. Um, or renal or whatever, and then they'll give us hypertension in that stage. They don't actually. I am, don't remember the last time I saw a
0: relationship tie. I know. I don't remember I, seeing. I agree that. with you. I yeah. agree with you so much. Um, and I wanted to, to do to talk about two more things before we conclude. One of them is um, when we talk about hypertension and and heart disease. They specifically tell us what series of heart failure codes qualify um, as that relationship with hypertension to, to get that I-11 codes. So we got to make sure that we're looking at heart diseases that fit in the heart failure category. Mm -hmm. And they're very specific about that. So recently I had another office call me and they said, well, Christine, it's like hypertension in any heart disease. Well, the patient has... Artherosclerosis. That's not what they're talking about. They're very specific about that. And the other thing is to remind people that um, elevated blood pressure is not hypertension. Elevated blood pressure is just elevated blood pressure. Right. And that's the information that that we need to make sure is coded correctly. We should never assume, uh, I mean, a uh, I, I would be very concerned if someone had two ten over one ten, right? But I, as a coder, can never make that determination that that is hypertension. That's right respectfully and that I have to query. And I think
1: that this is where it also wraps back to the enm where the new code, the new guidelines, where we're trying to get the physicians to give us their thought process, yeah. not just with the ICD ten, but also within the note of the Em service. And when mm-hmm. you, you can't, they all tie together. And when you can't get more documentation than just HTN or DM for diabetes or, you know, MI, I mean, give us more information. Otherwise, you know, we're not only going to keep queering you. There's some presumptions made, especially in tying in that we're allowed to do that. And we we don't always want to be responsible for that.
0: I love that you mentioned MI. Um Yeah. Recently, I did a a little research project with OIG work plans. And in the last three years, OIG has audited and reported on 13 Medicare Advantage programs and their selection of diagnosis codes. And every single Medicare Advantage plan had errors in the MI situation. So they were all reporting acute MIs in the office. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never received a phone call that said, hey, can I get an appointment for three weeks from now because I'm going to have an MI, and i just rather do it there at the office, right? I, but I know, but we see that a lot, that the patient we has do. had an acute MI, and we're thinking this was a scheduled follow-up appointment, and when did this MI happen? Oh, six <laughs> years ago. Okay, my bad. Sorry. Okay. Right. Old
1: MI. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. it's also tied to the, the interventions. So, the uh, 99241, which is to, um, 92941, sorry, 92941, which is the uh, acute MI stent, or mm-hmm. inter, you know, intervention. Well, it says in there, during an acute MI. Well, everybody wants to code that for non-STEMI and STEMI. So, STEMI, when it's going like this, Right. Non-STEMI when you prob means you probably had one, you know, mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. something called acute coronary syndrome. But if you're not in the throes of an acute myocardial infarction, then you're not using that code. Right. Because, you know, that's not, and even CPT assistant came out and said it has to be emergent in nature. It can't be that within the last 24, 48 hours you happen to have an MI because you may have, but it's calmed down at this point. Um, but I get that a lot where people are trying to code an acute MI when it's actually acute coronary syndrome or non STEMI yeah. and it doesn't tie into the nine, two, nine, four, one intervention code. So definitely uh, that you mentioned
0: that because there's a guideline for that too. There, is.
1: there and is.
0: So I think to wrap all of this up, it's time that we make time to review these guidelines again. And maybe review them in small chunks. Maybe tonight you only look at chapter nine in section one, subsection C, and you just go through. I love to paraphrase next to it. There's a lot of room next to the guideline, and I love to go in and paraphrase, you know, number one code should be this. Number two code should be this. um, Or highlight certain words that mean something within four weeks. You know, those key things that really assist us in, in finding that not that we're ever going to memorize these guidelines, God forbid, but it leaves a little breadcrumb in your mind of, Oh, I remember there's something in the guideline about hypertension or MI or right. And that will direct you back during those times where you are coding.
1: And also when you're doing your, uh, like Christine. So when you're taking your notes and highlighting your sections, also have, a, you know, another note or a section that says, oh, and when this happens, so perfect <laughs> example, when you've got a, a type one, um, you know, non STEMI that evolves to a STEMI, it can right in that mm-hmm. encounter. And, but then it's calmed down or it converts to a non-STEMI because the doctor gave him some thrombolytic therapy that's still reported as a STEMI because during that encounter it was STEMI. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, but I think that sometimes missed and just a little note, please do not call them cheat sheets. They are reference tools. Oh do God. not call them cheat sheets. If you ever have to go against an arbiter or you have to be in any kind of legal, you know scenario they're gonna say who are you trying to cheat do not call them cheat sheets I've been in front of enough attorneys on the both the payer and the physician side and and that's the first thing they they get on people is like let me see your cheat sheets and they start to pull them out I'm like oh face
0: plant I'm like no these are reference guides please don't do that go through all of them today and cross off cheat and put in reference put in reference that's it's a reference tool everything's a tool You know, right. So just great advice, Terry. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thanks for taking the time. I can't believe it's over already. But thanks for for taking the time today. If you have any questions about cardiology, coding, um, billing, reimbursement, Carrie is the guru. Reach out to her. Her information is there on the bottom. She is a wealth of knowledge. She has an amazing membership subscription. If you're not already subscribed, you need to subscribe today. Priceless information there. Okay. And uh, I guess we'll see you in two weeks. Happy Cinco de Mayo, to everyone. And thanks so much, Terry. Thank you. Thanks for watching.